0: It's another night of mead talk here on Got Mead Live. I'm J.D. Webb, your host and producer for Got Mead Live. I'm here with the owner of Got Mead, Zicky Rowe, and of course, winemaker and mead maker, A.J. Ermans. We're going to be talking to an award-winning mead maker tonight whose background is in microbiology. She's won several awards with her mead and then started a very successful meadery, in Fargo, North Dakota. Plus, Ask Oscar. Oscar answers several questions about identifying flavors and aromas. Tonight on Ask Oscar, all that and more on Got Me Live. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we are back. I just got to push all the right buttons. <laughs> <laughs> turn buttons <laughs> um so another it's tuesday night uh vicky's back in town from uh out of town you were in boston right
1: well north of boston visiting my in-laws in beverly and um spent the weekend well drinking beer actually <laughs> and um yeah. and um hunting down the elusive the elusive hoffer hoffer stuffer grapefruit beer that we have and we go to this german deli that's up there we always go and blow way too much money on uh triple smoked bacon to bring home and they have <laughs> a little, they have a little pub there and here's a fun thing um i went whenever we have lunch there i always get this this um grapefruit beer but they had mead there that they were serving in there they've got like a tiny little restaurant in the corner of the deli and oh. they had uh Apamed mead from um, um from slovakia and it was really just kind of cool. They had three different kinds. I was like, wow, you didn't have that last year. That's cool. so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I took pictures, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Look, awesome. Mead in yeah. a little German deli.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unusual, huh? Oh, very. Uh, yeah. I
1: mean, you don't see that very much. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have finally found what I called last week, the mother load of, of mead out of my area uh and I'm gonna start asking for it in you know the different restaurants that my wife and I go to um, what are we drinking tonight uh I'm drinking a redstone Meadery, black raspberry nectar uh and it tastes awesome I mean it's it's sweet it's a little on the sweet side for me, but I'm really digging the the raspberry flavor I love raspberry hey, Jim. yeah. I like that I've got too. my
2: uh pumpkin spice braggot again this time. I got a end of a bottle I need to finish, so this is as good a time as I need to do it.
0: So, on Got Mead Live, right? Absolutely.
2: That's <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it contains honey, it counts.
0: And you know? Vicky, uh, what are we drinking tonight in North Carolina?
1: I'm in the same mode as AJ. I'm polishing or attempting to polish off a bottle. So I've got San Francisco Meaderies apple pie.
0: Wow uh i gotta get a hold of that one uh and i i mean apple pie is another favorite around uh, around our house too so oh this Um, stuff
1: is this stuff is very very apple pie but you know um you said they had uh at your mother load of mead place they had um moonlight uh see see if there's any kurt's apple pie that is his biggest seller unless that's changed recently
0: yeah, I'm going to stop by there this week because uh, we were. It was after breakfast that one morning. We had some running around to do. We didn't want to stay in there too very long, uh, but I did notice a very large selection of the redstone Meadery meads, uh, and I want to go back and and check them out and uh, and see what he's got. You know what he's got available there. Oh, just well, buy one
2: of everything and be done with it. You know yeah. you're going to.
1: <laughs> and besides, <laughs> there are those super cool flip top bottles? I mean, how can it be bad, right? Yeah. Oh, jeez. I love those things.
0: The, yeah, this thing reminds me. about the one. The bottle I'm drinking out of. It's a blue, uh, a blue bottle. Uh It's got a blue yeah, label on it.
1: Blue girls, blue gross, gross bottles. AJ. they're oh, like, that's they're I, so I have so envy. utterly awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I did too hands on a whole bunch of them because they were serving it at the rent fair we used to have here and i basically put in dibs to get all the empty so i got a whole mine 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 mine, mine yeah. pile of them yeah plus i'll, I'll fill them up and, and give them to friends you know and they they know that if they return the bottle to me i'll fill it back up oh,
0: there you <laughs> you <know? go. laughs>
1: that's how i get my bottles to come home
0: <laughs> yeah there you go well, hey welcome to God Mead Live tonight and uh, the website uh, you know we keep saying this week after week <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it requires time that's the thing is that <laughs> there's probably another 150 hours that need to go into it for it to be close to being done so I'm I'm, I'm typing as fast as my little fingers can go
0: yeah and it's uh, <laughs> it's looking pretty you know pretty amazing so uh, you know if you're if you're listening to the show tonight from the God Mead Live, uh, radio uh, page there, you're seeing part of it, and uh, but uh, the official release. Ahead, you know what? We'll have a party. Uh, you know, on Got Me Live, uh, and maybe have a grand opening.
1: There we <laughs> go. Yeah, that would be that would be good. So yeah, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping to have some time later this week that I can get my head down and do some serious updating on it, and then just say call it good and launch it, and just keep adding from that point on. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, and you yeah. know. Uh, running, running a website, uh, I mean, there is a cost to it. I mean, you know, this stuff isn't free. And uh, you can help out by becoming a supporting member, a patron member at the forum. $25 a year. Now, here, here's a little. Take this from JD, okay? I have it on good authority. The price is probably going to go up. So you want to get in and get in now. Uh, 25 bucks a year. Uh, and get access to a whole other side of the gotmead.com forum, I mean, there is just a ton of information uh, that becomes available to you when you get your $25. So gotmead.com, become a patron member. The Facebook, gotmead, and also uh, if you go to the Facebook, uh, the gotmead Facebook, there's also a group that I have just discovered uh, over the course of the last week or so. I've even been posting in there. Uh, it's the Got Mead. I guess it's the Mead Group. I guess uh, it's Yeah, we've got
1: we've got the official page, and then we have the the sort of open group. Anybody can join the group um, on the you know, and uh, that the group is just easier to have conversations on. So I did a, both page and a group.
0: Well, yeah, and and that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah. you know, if you you get to uh, you get to the Facebook page. Look for that group. And, uh, you know, just people in there having fun, posting things about their mead and whatnot, uh, comments about mead, pictures. I, I put a picture in there of my new toy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the came. We'll talk about that in a minute here. But uh, ask Oscar. Uh, just simply go to the gotmead.com uh, blog uh, Gosh, I don't want to give that whole URL no, thing just, out there. Just go
1: to, go to the go to the show page, and on the top of the menu, you'll see the Got Me, uh, Got Me Live link. And then if you just put your mouse over that, it'll do a drop-down and show you the Ask Oscar page.
0: And uh, our call-in number tonight, 818-921-4680. One more time, for those of you just now picking up your pencil and paper, 818 921 Four six eight zero. The show links, gotmead.com website, of course, on the uh, Got Mead radio there. Or you can listen at TuneIn Radio, tunein.com. You can also download their mobile app. Take us with you when we're traveling, or actually when you're traveling. (laughs) Uh, We'll go with you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just search Got Mead live uh, on TuneIn Radio, and it'll pop right up. You can also get the replays from uh, iTunes and from SoundCloud. Uh, You know, I I was in the kitchen the other day fixing dinner, uh, doing the morning dishes and whatnot, and uh, I just uh, had my headset on. You know, I have the SoundCloud app on my my phone, and I listened to the last episode uh, that we did here uh, last week. So uh, it was pretty cool uh, while I was in the kitchen. So uh, get us on SoundCloud, get us on iTunes, uh, apps are available for both iOS and Android devices, uh, from TuneIn, from SoundCloud, and certainly iTunes if you're into the iPhone thing. So, uh, you know, uh, we've got, uh, what do we got coming up anyway? Uh, next, next there.
1: week, <laughs> next week we're having the party with the Meadmakers. Uh, Alan tonight. and Yeah, Alan and Tyson, and, uh, we're just going to have a good old time drinking mead, talking about mead, and just, you know, generally having a meadly good time.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, looking forward to that. So uh, it'd be kind of a fun night. So, uh, but it's all right here on Got Mead Live. What we're going to do right now is step away. We need to uh, get ready for our guest. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rood, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. This is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Me. Mead. Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. from the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes meads, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at beeNectar.com. That's beeNectar with a K.com. And we are back live here, Got Mead live, uh, and uh, guys, tonight our guest, uh, she's been making mead for almost twenty years, and the curious thing, she's a microbiologist. I wonder how that plays into the whole mead making thing, and I'm curious to find out, Vicky.
1: Yeah, it's uh, well, it does play into it, and I'm sure she'll she'll tell us how that's working, you know, inside her meadery. But um, Prairie, Prairie Rose Meadery is the first meadery in um, Fargo, and I think in North Dakota as well. And uh, Susan, Susan Rood, and her husband Bob are the owners of the meadery. And I've known Susan for, oh Lord, a long time. Um, met her back long before the Mazer Cup, back when uh, we were still doing the um, International Mead Festival and uh, she makes amazing mead. She's a pretty sharp judge. I've had the pleasure of sitting at the same table with her and judging on a number of occasions, and um, she makes some pretty amazing mead. couple that she's got coming out in the meadery are ones I would not have thought of for commercial, so it'll be fun to see what she's doing with that as well.
0: Awesome. And uh, so welcome, Susan Rude to uh, Got Mead Live. Oh, well, thank
3: you. Thank you. Excited to be
0: here. You know, I got to ask you, the the microbiology part, uh, were you a, a microbiologist before you began making meads?
3: Um, yes. Yeah, I um, guess i aged eh, ages myself, but I think I got my master's in 86. So I think I started making mead about 10 years later.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
3: Yeah, it's, it's been fun. And I it. Microbiology fits right in with yeast and playing with it. It's more the fun side of yeast.
0: <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how does how does the microbiology play into uh, your mead making?
3: Well, yeast is a microorganism. Um, it it's also taught me how to be sanitary. What what sanitary conditions are? Sterile conditions. Um, how to avoid getting your need contaminated um, I also have a large background in chemistry so understanding how all of the lab work works to get you checking your pH how to adjust your pH um, those kind of things just I mean, those are just secondhand to me things I've done every day at work and,
0: should you know. I tell her uh, should I tell her about my operating theater Vicki yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, J, JD's, J.D.'s kitchen looks like an ER, looks like a, ER, or like a hospital operating room. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: okay. I, I sanitize everything. The walls, the floor, the counters, everything.
3: <laughs> oh, I don't he, go quite those extremes, but <laughs> uh, he you had use about a lot of sanities.
1: <laughs> yeah. He both had a coronary when he found out how I do it, which is, you know, like <laughs> I wipe the food off the counter and then, you know. <laughs> oh, and None I don't None of even them have gotten spoiled yet, you know. <laughs> we got it someplace to say your
0: carboys, so, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. I get it from both sides here.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're outnumbered. So, um, Susan, we've I've known you since, oh, God. Somewhere in the yeah. early 2000s-ish, I think. I and say,
3: whatever the first year the International Mead Fest was, I think, in Denver.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: So that I went been... to the. I went to Planet Buzz, which was technically the first one. Yeah. And, um, I think and then the next two
1: years in were in Boulder, and then there was one in Denver, if I remember right. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I was at... Well, both the ones in Boulder and and the one in Denver, I think, and then, then I had skipped a few years.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I don't, I don't have that option. <laughs> being being on the management staff for Maser Cut means I better show up or I'm dead. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Very
1: good. It, it's always it's always a lot of fun. So, but um, so okay, you've been making mead for about twenty years at. At what point, or what was, the, what was the trigger for you? It's always interesting to find out how people get into this obsession in a professional way. So what what was the tipping point for you that you decided that it was time for a meadery? Or was that always the plan?
3: Um, I think we had a, a family or a friend of mine had a lot of health issues, and it just hit me one day. It's like, you know, I want to do something that I really love, and need is what I really love. And so I... I just thought, okay, I'm going to open this. And then I was looking at our retirement. It's like, I am never going to be able to retire on what I'm making at the university. So I thought, okay, I will just uh, retire poor doing something fun anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that sounds like pretty good logic to me. I mean, you know, if you're not going to get to retire in any case, you might as well be doing yeah. something you like. Yep. So what was your – are you are – you, Native to the Fargo area is that home for you, um, or are you a
3: trans? I'm native to North Dakota. I I okay. grew up in central North Dakota, moved to Fargo to go to college in '79, and I've been here ever since. Okay. Um, met my husband in college and stayed here. We have family around here, so. Um,
1: That's
4: his nice. Mom was in you Mom you.
3: was in the area.
1: So
4: That's very and my cool.
3: kids my grandkids. I have three grandkids that live here. Ooh, jealous. Kids,
1: so. <laughs> I don't get any grandbabies for a while, so I just get to uh,
3: well be jealous I, of other was, people's after I had the first one then when the shock was over. Then now I'm happy to have yeah. More <laughs> <fiction>. ah. <laughs> That'd be okay. But that first one it's like no i can't be old enough
1: to be a grandmother. to be a grandparent i know right <laughs> yeah i don't know i've kind of reconciled myself to that when my my daughter got married in january i was like well crap that wasn't supposed to happen quite this soon <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it did so you know it is that's the way it happened so fargo and well north dakota in general um Wherever did you stumble across mead? What was your where did you find it? Or was the first place you ever um, had it?
3: Well, some friends, i i a couple of people I worked with, home brewed, and they um, kept every morning they'd come in to coffee and talk about their home brewing, and it just kind of got my interest. And then finally, we went to some events with them, and we tasted mead, and it's like, oh, this stuff is really good. Um, and so my, I, my actual first homebrew was making a mead. Um, and so my husband fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. And, and then from there, it's just all, I don't know if you'd say downhill or uphill or whatever, but <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I, overboard. It. it probably, Hold, yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> do you remember that first mead, uh, Susan? Do you remember what, uh, yes,
3: I do. We whoa,
0: whoa. made,
3: uh, we made a batch of traditional, um, it actually turned out excellent, and I am sure it did actually win some awards with that one, um, but we, we ended up splitting it three ways. We did a six-gallon batch or a five-gallon batch, split it, and did um, a raspberry, a strawberry rhubarb, and then part of it as traditional. and um, Strawberry rhubarb was really good, interesting. That one was really interesting uh, in that the strawberry would come in one time you opened the bottle, and the next time the rhubarb, it kept just floating in and out those flavors. Uh, Hmm. The raspberry was like over the top. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I want to say close to 10 or 15 pounds of raspberries in a two-gallon batch. Whoa, wow, wow. <laughs> oh my we god! We did two gallons initially of the fermented mead, and then added raspberries to it. And yeah,
0: okay, I, 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 From now on, I'm going to readjust all of my melomel recipes. I'm ramping up the fruit.
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, you you should you yeah. know, you have You had to listen. I, to I, Pete I've Peter,
3: actually Jenny. backed off a bit on the fruit from that, but um, <laughs> wow. it was yeah. It expensive, really and though. it's
2: a lot of work to put that much fruit in sometimes.
3: Yeah, yeah, if I had to do a uh, 150 gallon batch now with that much egg fruit, it would be oh, okay.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and well, and I noticed that you've got um five meads out and a sixth in a sixth in the starting gates and yep. only two of them are melamels. The rest are different things. Yep. So, what a traditional the ginger uh, blackberry and cherry for your fruits, and then the mint, which you just bottled yep. that like a week or so ago, didn't you?
3: Um, no, we've had it now, the mint, for probably a month. Well, okay. About three to four weeks, anyway.
1: Shows um, you how fast my life has been running past me. <laughs>
3: <and> <laughs> Seems like week. <laughs> let's see, the mint and the cherry were our last one. The cherry, we've only had a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, that was the last one I came with and now and then I'm I've got a star anise that's coming.
1: I saw that yeah. and that's that's an interesting approach. I don't know anybody's doing a star anise. So why that one just out of curiosity. It's a, it's a little different.
3: Um, I, I like licorice flavor and I I've made one as a a homebrew batch which I absolutely love. So if I love it. Everybody else probably will, so
1: no, I'm sure there's um, going to be quite a few people who do. It's just an interesting. Yeah. You know, do you so do you crush them or do you toss them in whole like people do with clothes or what do you do? Um I
3: I pop them in whole. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you little star-shaped floaties all over the inside
3: of the fermenter? No, I put them <laughs> in a bag. I I put them in a um mesh bag and so that you can just you keep tasting it and when I like the where the balance is, I pull them out.
1: Okay. I, I that that makes that makes good sense because that one seems to me like like star anise would be one of those things that's like cloves. It's real easy to go too far.
3: Um. Yeah, you probably could, but um, I guess, and that's always going to be relative to whoever is tasting it, whether it's too much or not enough. Um, True. Because some people are just don't like that flavor, and even a little bit is too much, and others, if they just truly love it, then they want just a ton of it. So um, I think mine is pretty well balanced, though.
0: Star Anna. So am I am I thinking of the same thing like the Anna's cookies my grandmother used to make? Uh-huh. That's- oh That's yeah. It. Oh, wow. Oh my god, yes.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm,
0: I'm coming to North Dakota. One. <laughs> There's
1: one who will buy it. You better hurry up and get that online distribution going, Susan. <laughs> yeah.
3: I'm working on
0: it. Oh man, I, my grandmother made the most awesome Annas cookies. Oh.
1: I've never I've never been a fan of licorice, so I tend to hand those off to other people who like it better than me because I can't do it justice. <laughs> It's right up there. It's right up there with, um, um, oh, prickly pear. I don't like prickly pear meads either. I just don't. You know, they're some are really amazing, but not for me.
0: <laughs> so. uh, Susan, you know, after making mead for twenty years, twenty plus years, I guess, uh, has the process changed for you at all, or, or do you find anything different uh, today than than how you were making, uh, you know, making mead twenty years ago?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we started out, when I started out, we did the whole process of you bring the honey and water up to 185 and let it sit there for 45 minutes to sanitize and all that. And then you had to have the chiller to chill it all down in the end and stuff. And yeah, much this just adding the water and the honey together and mixing it well and letting it ferment during the, you know, so much quicker now. <laughs> <laughs> Cause yeah, I, it would take when I originally made it. Then it, you know, then it didn't know about the staggered yeast nutrients. I didn't know about any of that. Um, I kept everything sanitary, so it was always good. But it just took so much longer to ferment, and then it took a little bit of time to age out and smooth out. Because when you're fermenting and not giving as much. Um, nitrogen, then you get a little bit more hotter alcohols just from having a stressed yeast. Um, so rather than taking six months to a year for a mead to be ready, you know, now nowadays they can be ready in one to two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and I do the no heat. You know, you don't need the heat because you know, which makes sense. Ye- uh, honey is sanitary in itself. Yeah, because it's such condensed sugar.
1: So, what sort of turnaround are you getting then from from pitch to bottle? you know
3: um I'm usually it's it's about twelve weeks um I could be done sooner than that, but um it just seems like I never managed to get my labels approved and all that stuff and uh, in time <laughs> um, yeah so it's uh, every step takes a little bit now i'm I'm figuring out how to okay. And I've got all my recipes. I'll send in label approvals, whether I've made the meat or not, and figuring that out.
0: I didn't realize that you, ha- you have to get labels approved. Is this some mm-hmm. kind of state law? Oh, yeah. Federal. federal. It's federal. Oh, really? Oh, you have oh to yeah. You get
3: your recipe approved, and then you have to, once that's approved you have to get your labels approved and once they're approved then it's another 2 weeks or so to get them um printed and shipped back to you and yeah everything just takes time
0: so you and send you send your recipe and you call it me and they write back and say what's this sometimes yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, it wow. used
3: to be uh they're actually better now with the new regulations yeah. um yeah. i haven't had too much problem um I, I get um i it's like little picky things like now you're you're mead makers, everybody on here is mead makers. No mead maker in the world has ever called clover honey, clover blossom honey oh, that no, is seriously? Oh, really? making me put on that's what I have to put on my label on three of my labels. The first three went along went through just fine, saying clover honey on there the next wow. three, the guy just argued, no, you have to have clover blossom. Oh and God. yeah, oh,
1: close and it. even if you show him, and even if you show him your already approved labels, he still standing in his
3: ground. Like I didn't bother because I didn't want to have to get those redone. True, we that. That. yeah.
1: Well, and, and I've noticed like, that from from the different meteries I've spoken to over the years that it's really the luck of the draw. I mean, if you get the guy whose wife gave him, you know, gave him a rough time last night, and You know, burned his dinner or something. You know, he's going to be all crappy on the people that come in for label approval the next day.
0: Wow! Yeah, I didn't didn't know you had to go. through. I think they go out of
3: their way that they need to find some little thing. Oh, they're like to change
1: border crossing guards. They're like beer judges.
3: (laughs) Beer (laughs) like.
1: Yeah, one of the things that we say one of the things that, that, that is regularly put out and you know spoken aloud as they're instructing the judges at the maser Cup is those of you who are used to who are do more beer judging than you do me judging just know that the points you don't give don't go to heaven with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that was Ken Tram originally and <laughs> uh, and it's we've, we've adopted it so but yeah it's I, it really is. I mean it's a you can ask five TTB agents in the same day. It's the exact same question and get five different answers. There's no consistency there right now.
0: Yeah. We're talking to Susan Rood from North Dakota, Prairie Rose Meadery. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to North Dakota, I have uh, on business. I haven't spent a whole lot of time there, but uh, the whole Dakota range, north and south, the most beautiful country you'd ever want to visit. I'm telling you. I haven't been there yet. <laughs> Got to get over there though.
1: Um, so Susan, you're when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, you were telling me that you guys are still mainly on the plane, if you will. <laughs> you're 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 staying in your tasting room. That you're not doing outside distribution at this point. Is that still where you guys are at?
3: Um, pretty much. I I've actually been talking to um, a couple of people here locally. On I, I talked to a distributor. Not sure I'm going to go that route quite yet, um, just because they would be making more money off of a bottle than I would um, yeah. by the time they take their cuts. So, uh, But I've also been talking to a couple of restaurants in the area about getting nice. there. So um, hopefully that'll get back going within the next week. So that'll be good.
1: Uh, that'll be real good. Are you guys, uh, are, are you uh, moving your product out pretty quick as it goes into the bottles? I see a lot of
3: um, the up-and-comers that are. Going, yeah, we're selling. It's, it's improving every month. Um, we've got starting this, uh, actually starting this week, we've got a, a deal going with uh, three of the other the breweries in town, another winery, and the distillery where we're doing kind of one of these passport tours where they come in and get a stamp at each one of the locations, and then the top 25, or fastest 25 to finish it, win prizes.
1: Neat.
3: So, And then everybody that finishes it gets gets some stuff. So it should be kind of fun.
1: So it's um, basically like a pub crawl.
3: Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> With but prizes. But it doesn't have to all be done on the same day. Oh, okay. Well, that's good, because I can see where that would be really difficult after a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, it doesn't have to be done. And and some of the, like, I'm only open Thursday through Sunday. Uh, Some of the guys are closed Sundays and open Mondays and stuff. So, you know, it kind of works out well that way. That the hours are different for for all of us. So Um, it'll be fun. Yeah,
1: Um, it sounds like it.
3: And then I've got a radio spot coming out where it's kind of a, A mixer where they'll sign up online and um, to get their name into drawing, and once every for win a dinner and some mead over the next uh, once a month for the next three months, they're doing that, and then they get to come in with the radio personality stuff. So that should actually get a lot of uh, at least exposure.
0: Yeah. When you uh, when you started the meadery, Susan, you're you're going from making meat at home, small batches, to fairly large batches. batches I would assume at the meadery. was the transition from uh, small to large a difficult one, or is it pretty easy um, to ramp up the recipe? And yeah,
3: the recipe ramping up wasn't isn't a problem at all. Um, Learning the bigger equipment, figuring out how to move things around, you know, because you can't just pick up thirteen hundred pounds of honey um, <laughs> right. and dump it in. Uh, things like that. That you know, because each batch we put thirteen hundred pounds into a batch of our honey at a time. So, um, yeah, we just buying buying more pumps, learning how the pumps work. That that was a little more of a challenge to me. It was like I hook up what where. <laughs> but on the other hand, that that side is more my husband. He's very good. He's an electrical engineer. So he does all of my getting all my equipment helps. going and keeping it going and that kind of thing. So I'm, we I'm kind of match each other uh, well there. I'm, I'm, cool.
0: I'm, a, I'm a relatively new mead maker myself. And, of course, I sit here taking notes during the show but, you know, between Vicky and AJ and our Ask Oscar session. Uh, you know, I, one question, another question I've got for you about your metery uh, when you, because one thing that I'm very concerned about is temperature. And I've learned so much listening to AJ and Vicki and, and Pete, Oscar, uh, about temperature control and that kind of thing. How do you control temperatures in a we, vat that large?
3: We have, um, all of our tanks are glycol jacketed. So we have a big glycol chiller that, um, you know, my husband built all the pipes and stuff around to hook up to them. Um, and then we had the plumber come in and sign off and all that. Um, but it's all it's all hooked up, so we have quick disconnects from the tanks to the glycol line. And so whichever tank we're using, we just hook it on there and keep it. I you mean, know, it's pretty, pretty easy, and then I'll, I can actually also chill down um, each batch before I filter, so we get some of it settling out, so I don't have quite as much gunk going through my filters. And, oh. So, interesting.
2: I was just wondering if you had a particular favorite yeast, or if you use the same yeast for all your all your batches.
3: Um, I use the same one. I I like the seventy one B Lovlin, seventy one eleven twenty two B eleven eleven twenty two yeah. 71B 1122, I think
2: it is. Yeah, that one seems to be pretty popular with uh, the meteries, from what I've been hearing.
3: Yeah, it works well. It, uh, it's clean. It's yeah, it's quick. I
1: really like it. Quick is good when you're trying to get your bottles out the door. Yeah.
3: Yep. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. We're talking to Susan Root tonight from Prairie Rose Meadery in North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota. We'll take your calls. The number to call is 818-921-4680. Uh, and I'm expecting a call from Chris tonight. He's an <laughs> fan of course, of you are cotton, cotton <laughs> live. And I know Chris, you've probably got a burning question that you want to ask Susan Rude, so feel free to call 818 921 4680. And Susan, you know, you're the honey you, you talked about, uh, using clover, let's get it right, clover blossom honey. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. right, right according to Is, who. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: Is right that a, or correct? <laughs> like, like AJ's question uh, about the yeast—is that just a preference, or is that just what you can get available? And I mean, I mean, what, you know, is honey that even uh, even that uh, uh, plentiful in North Dakota? Um, North
3: Dakota is the number one honey-producing na- state I'm, in the I'm moving so, at- yeah, it's easy enough <laughs> to find honey here. I'm moving um, <laughs> I hey, had um, when I had the. Apiary. It's it's a, that I go to is about twenty miles from here. So um, at the time we went out there, he had clover bluffs or clover honey and um, sunflower honey, and we tasted them. And the clover is you know, and we're not talking the clover honey that you buy out of the little Subi teddy bears, because that's been heated and stripped of half of its flavor and everything. When you're mm. getting fresh North Dakota clover honey, um, raw honey, it's it, it's just so light and spicy and a little bit of esters in there, and, and I just find it really, really nice. And yeah, I, I really like this honey for making mead.
0: Honey, could um, you get the suitcases out of the closet and start packing, <laughs> moving to North? <laughs>
3: yeah, and it just it just wow. complements the esters that come off the yeast, and yeah, no, I really like it. Um, we are gonna try and find some other honeys, uh, you know, around the state and play with them, so we'll have some different traditional honeys. Um, there's traditional meads, but uh, for the most part, I think this will be our base honey.
0: Wow, clover. We we'll have to remember that clover blossom honey. Uh, yeah. I wonder. You know, can you? Um, can I buy some from you? <laughs>
3: how do How do or I get do you clover buy it by the barrel? <laughs> I, I I think it would probably start. be prohibitive.
2: <laughs> you could come visit me. <laughs> yeah, come visit me. That's one of the things I get a lot of is clover honey.
0: Oh my God! I'm sitting here drooling. I'm telling you, uh, and we do have a caller, and I know who this is. I recognize the number. <laughs>
1: Chris, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hey, Chris. Oh, uh, the
0: redneck representative <laughs> has arrived.
1: Yeah, Chris. Chris is our groupie, Susan. He calls in every week. <laughs> okay. good.
4: Yeah. I missed. I missed the first part of the show tonight. I I, I got turned on
0: just as you were. Saying something about me calling in. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're talking Sorry, to Susan Rude from Prairie Rose Meadery in Fargo, North Dakota. Chris, uh, have you got a question for her?
4: Well, I I, I would like to hear her take on uh, on her nutrients, how she handles it. Uh, she may have said something. I, I like I said, I missed the first part of the program. Uh, oh, I well, usually
3: well, do. Uh, Staggered Nutrients with, um, Fermate K and diammonium Phosphate, um, and then I use the GoFirm up, up front to rehydrate the yeast. That's
4: mm-hmm.
3: pretty much all I use.
4: Yep. Okay. Well, I've been, uh, been moving toward the, uh, Fermate K only, and here recently been trying some of the Fermate O, and, uh been working really well trying to get away from the diamonium phosphate and I just I'd like to hear what other people have been doing. Huh?
3: How has how has that been working for
4: you? Uh it's been really good so far. Um uh, I've always been able to taste the diamonium phosphate. Other people can't. I I seem to be able to pick up on it for some reason, so another one of my quirks I guess. <laughs> but uh I had heard that uh, Michael Fairbrother had uh, gotten away from using uh, diammonium phosphate as well, and uh, he was actually the one that I had talked to on the phone one day, and he gave me an idea to try it. So basically, I just used the GoFirm up front to rehydrate the yeast and then used only Fermade K, and it worked really well. I didn't have any problems at all. And that's yeah. what I've been doing ever since. Okay. So up
3: yeah,
4: until recently. Uh, yeah. yeah, up until recently I started trying uh, the Fermate O, but it takes uh, massive doses of it because it's lower in uh, in the nitrogen content. Okay. Uh, but I, I really like the I like going the Fermate K route, I'm it's interesting to hear what other people are doing. I know that uh, I believe Ken Schram is still doing the basic uh diammonium phosphate and
1: permade K as well, so
3: uh,
1: And it works pretty well what it, for what he's doing. Whatever you do, works yeah. for you, yes, you know? yeah. it. It's
3: been working for me, so I haven't even yeah. tried switching. I have heard other um I wanna say uh, yeah, I knew Michael switched. I I wanna say Sergio does something different too.
1: Um Yeah, I think he did.
3: Know, so mm-hmm. I you know. But like I said I just I know the routine of this one, and I know what it does, and I know the amounts to put in. And rather than having to play.
4: Oh yeah. Well, hey, you're you, you own a meter. You don't be listening to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think I think everybody it, does things just slightly different, and what works in their um, system is you know what they're used to, and if it's working for them that's the way to go.
4: Mm-mm. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: But yeah. I always, I'm a firm believer also that there's always room for improvement. So I'm always willing to try new things and see if it works, but I'll, I'll probably do that in smaller batches.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do, to yeah. do that in the giant one and have it go sideways on you. That would kind of suck. Yeah. That would not be good. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Well, I have weird taste buds also because I there's things that other people can detect that I can't and then there's things I detect that other people don't see a problem with. So uh, that's I the good thing that's about pretty being common, a common though. I mean
3: yeah. I can yeah I can detect small or certain flavors are like, Oh, that's just disgusting and nobody else so mm-hmm. will get it. So I perfectly understand that.
4: We yeah, well that's up. the that's the good thing about being a home maker too. You can make what you like.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've huh. got a uh, we've got a question. Uh, Doug Fensky uh, in the Netherlands got up at three o'clock in the morning to tune into the show here tonight. Again? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, nice. <laughs> and he's he's listening intently. I know Doug uh, Doug's been working on this Yan and and Nan and Flan and all this <laughs> chemical stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, he's he's a pretty experienced mead maker too, winemaker for I don't know 25, 30 years, I guess. And he's asking now. He's laughing. How much? Uh, how much do you know how to add? Uh, he's talking about this Furmade K having dap in it as well. That's something I didn't know. Right. I
3: I calculated initially, you know, and I don't even have it here. It was a few months ago now. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, I I calculated the amount of yen. I believe it is initially of how much for e- from each of those and and kind of went by what the, the uh, manufacturers recommend versus making sure I had enough of the Yen in there. I believe it's the Yen. Um, and then I kind of went with an average of all of them.
0: Yeah, because my my, my jar of dap uh, says something about so many parts per million, and I'm thinking, well, how in the hell do I figure that out? I don't have a, you know. Uh, how am I supposed well, to figure that out? Per like,
3: million are just um, what is it? One part in it's, mili- in, in it's milligrams
4: it's per liter.
3: liter. Yeah, milligrams per liter, or or mill, yeah, milligrams per however many grams or whatever. Sorry, but JD,
2: you have to think in Canadian for that one.
3: it's it's not that complicated. It's it's one in a million, and you just. Calculate your volume and how much you're putting in there. Um, I do. Have and the to diammonium down, phosphate and, gives and, you uh, on paper, though I don't do it in my head. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't either.
4: <laughs> Vicky, yeah, the diammonium phosphate will give you twenty-one, twenty-one percent nitrogen. So, uh, one, in other words, one gram in one liter will give you 21 parts per million. So,
0: I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, Vicky, are we going to start like a mead school on Got Mead Live here pretty soon?
1: It kind of <laughs> sounds that
3: way, doesn't it? Um, I and, think and we you each- know, that stuff is all on the internet. I mean, you yeah, just go out there and look on yen and parts per million and what is really recommended for different wines and different you know meads. It's all out there.
0: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, a lot of us are learning from you experienced mead makers, uh, you know, that have been doing this for a number of years. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate even the comments that Chris has made, uh, you know, throughout the uh, times that he's called in talking about his home brews. And, of course, Vicki and AJ here, we've got an Ask Oscar segment that really deals with some really pointed questions about mead making. But uh, it, cert- it certainly helps to talk to people who do this for a living uh, do this as a business, uh, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm just uh, I'm I'm enthused about how simple it. Not that I'm going to start a meadery in in Sherman Oaks, California, mind you, but I'm just enthused at how easy it seems <clears throat> to be going from small batch, um, you know, small batch, in, in this term, I'm talking five gallons at a time or so to several hundred gallons at a time. It doesn't seem like it's all that difficult to.
3: Um, yeah, that part really hasn't, to me, hasn't been that difficult. Um, it gets much more expensive, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah. And being the frugal person, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm putting how much into that? Um, but, uh, other than that, you know, it's, it's really more just trying to move everything. And and yeah if you mess the batch up it it would be very bad so i'm very very cautious on what i do and what i change and make sure sanitation is over the top and things like that but um the recipe is pretty close to the same straight through
1: okay
4: and just to qualify jd's statement about me I'm not an experienced meat maker. I'm an experienced experimenter.
3: That's what we, you know what? That's what we all are still, or even at the professional level.
2: Oh yeah. I love it. Good lab technique you know, counts for a I lot. I always
3: experimenting where it's like you come up with, you know, I think this would sound good. And you experiment, you know, I don't, for me anyway, I'll, I'll start with a smaller batch and, and do it in my kitchen. And, and then it's like, yep, I'm going to make that, you know, or I'm not, but, <laughs> That's
4: what yeah. you know, we all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of the work is trying to find someone who will like something that you made that you hate. <laughs> so ah. you know you gotta you gotta look around and find people who can I give this to. And luckily, I have a mother-in-law, so <laughs> uh, she gets a lot
0: of. <laughs> she doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> Hey Chris, thanks for the call, bud. Uh, oh, no, no problem. Back. Okay, y'all take care. All right. Hi hey, Chris. Bye. bye. Chris from uh, Mississippi uh, calling. Of course, we had to egg him on a little bit, but uh, I know. He, I mean, it you know it was inevitable. He was he was gonna call in anyway. I'm sure, but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just an awesome awesome guy. But uh, gosh, Susan, I you know I I definitely got to make a trip to North Dakota. I mean. Uh, I would welcome to have you up here. Any, you, any, you know, these tasting rooms uh, are becoming more and more popular, uh, you know, and, and it's not just meat. It's, you know, wine tasting. It's these beer. Uh, I mean, yep. it, it seems like every uh, every uh, uh, small brewery nowadays has a, uh, you know, some kind of a tasting room. So any plans to expand your tasting room at all or uh, do anything more with it than what you already have?
3: We've thought about adding a few more uh small food items that type of thing right now we just do um cheese and salami plates, something we can get out fast and and we don't you know'cause we don't we only keep you know it's just the two of us here um running the tasting room so we're trying to not hire hire employees quite yet um so things like that um possibly, but other than that, no, I don't plan on. I mean, we've got a pretty big tasting room. I, I mean, I've got tables and chairs sitting around. It could fit probably about 30 people in here. So,
0: We've got um, a caller uh, on the line, 9983. What's your name? Tell us where you're from, and uh, what's your question?
5: Yeah, this is Derek Piper from Cumming, Georgia, and uh, we're looking at starting a metery here as well, one of the uh, three different breweries that are getting ready to start up. And uh, one of the things that interests me about you is you yeah, you started right up and you have your, your, your case room going. I was wondering about your advertising. Do you advertise, and what kind of customers do you, do you usually get in? Are they first-time people to meet, or are they people oh, that have I've known a, about for a while?
3: I've had a huge amount of people coming in that have never even heard of me. Um, but, I, you know, I I was I get the local newspaper. I was uh, listed in there as opening, and they did a, a little spread on me. I've had um, a couple of our local magazines do articles on me. And so people have seen me through that early on. And then, so where they're seeing me on that and all of a sudden they're like, you know, okay, what is Mead? I want to come out and see it. Um, and it's a big group of people from those just old enough. I've had a few people that are just barely 21 out of, you know, just still in college. And they're like so excited mm-hmm. about this, uh, to, You know, your grandparents, that, you know, their parents made mead or something. Um, But I'm surprised, actually, at the number of people that are coming in that have never heard of mead. They're just excited to try it. And, yeah, so it's been kind of fun that way. Um, We do, I did start out, you know, when I started, I started a Facebook page. And I've got, I think, over 800 people now following me on that. Um, So that gets, you know, I kind of send out feelers on there. Um, Other than that, we're starting some radio ads that I got uh, coming out. out. But I think you do need to advertise a little, because unless you're, Mm -hmm. we're in a location that's a little bit hidden, so people aren't going to drive by and see our sign that much. So I do need to advertise a little. Um, if you're you were on a main stretch where people would just see you or it would be an easy walk in you might not need to advertise as much but um, yeah. do you, I you advertise like a mead or advertising
5: huh? do, you, do you use the word mead or do you use the word honey wine or usually
3: I I use mead. I use mead yeah. but then I also describe it as honey wine. Um, I always wow. say mead first and then I'll describe it as honey wine. I don't know. Maybe it. My husband thinks I'm nuts, but I feel like well, if I don't get out what mead is, people, you know, um, people aren't going to understand what mead is. So um, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like I should educate a little too. Thus, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just always use mead. Um, but I do on my label. Well, and that's a, another thing the federal government makes you put on there. I know like my mint mead I, I have to have um, honey wine with spices has to be on the label somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's like okay. So but I figure the mead is bigger on the label and then the small letters it's honey wine with spices. So people that don't understand what mead is can they they're, they're going to understand honey wine. So I hope uh, hopefully get both
0: worlds. How about you, uh, Derek? Uh, any any difficulty getting people to understand what mead is uh, in Georgia, or or you know what have you heard down there? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge um, to get to get that outside of the,
5: the, the group that might go to Renaissance fairs and things like that. They might know, but um, our target market is probably going to be primarily women, um, and uh, maybe women who are like their... They are married to a craft beer guy, but they don't really like beer. But, you know, meat's mm-hmm. clearly an ex- exceptional craft product, and even more locally made than craft beer. Um, if you I, use local honey I will
3: that. say, though, I'm, I am actually seeing almost as many men coming in as women. Uh, just mm-hmm. Yeah, on Friday I had four guys sitting at the bar. They came in there. You know, early 30s, they were all excited. They all sat there and drank mead for about two hours. <laughs> I was like, all right. Uh, so.
5: That's great. Um, I know my brother goes up there. He works at some of the uh, uh, oil fields and he goes for two weeks at a time. So I'm hoping he can pick something up. Oh, uh, yeah. And the, I, I kind of get a kick yeah, out of the vision of these early late. oil guys.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have actually had a few guys come. I uh, uh, came to Fargo, and from the oil fields, I had one group come in. Uh, that was kind of cool. But, yeah, they said they have a couple weeks off, and what do they do? They go to <laughs> other cities or else they go home. But
0: Very good. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Thank you so much Jordan. for your time. You bet. Uh, you know, I'm just... Uh, I go to a couple of forums to get my information about me. of course, the one that I frequent the most is home, what I call home, got com. But there's another forum out there that pretty much specializes in beer, but they do have a couple of small boards that, uh, you know, wine, mead, that kind of thing. And I'd noticed that some of the guys, uh, you you know, some of the men who are involved in making beer are starting to become more and more active in the mead part of these forums. So, uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, not knowing anything about mead, uh, uh, you know, uh, last January, and then uh, finally, you know, pretty much recently having my first taste, I actually learned how to make it before I even had any myself, so I was just curious, but I like it, so it's good stuff. Well, uh,
3: you know, I don't know, I guess people think, because women like sweeter things, maybe, but... All right. Look at the number of people who are running meaderies. Ninety percent of them are guys. So obviously Mm -hmm. the material guys like mead also. So I don't want to necessarily focus on just women because, as I said, my husband—that was the thing he fell in love with. The first when we started getting into homebrewing, he just fell in love with mead. So. Um.
2: It may just be going along with the stereotype that you know guys like beer and women like wine. Yep.
3: Yeah, I, I think it is, but I, I I try not to stereotype because women like beer also.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm gonna try and market as much to both crowds, and it's uh, and it yeah. You know, I don't think we want to just segment ourselves in and, and make it look that only women are going to like this because that's definitely not the case.
2: Absolutely not.
3: And cool. Look at your calling, people.
1: That's been all yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has. Well, and it was funny because uh, when JD started, started uh, banging at me to do the radio show first thought i had was yeah and it's gonna be all girls because <laughs> 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 well, it's time it's time you know <laughs>
0: i'm sitting here between those two they keep me they, they keep me gone believe me <laughs> yeah. somebody's gonna
1: do it
2: <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah so um well it's been awful cool having you on the show susan i really appreciate it oh this has been fun uh, we'll probably we'll probably have you back in the future. One of the things that uh, I want to do are some uh uh something like a something like a um a mead debate, like the presidential debate. So we'll have a moderator tossing out questions and have a panel of mead makers, both professional and home, and see what sorts of information we can get. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, that'd sound cool. Yeah.
3: That'd be great. Yeah.
1: So, all right, well, we'll let you get back to your evening, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's
3: well, really great for having me, me on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for coming. All
0: right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Right. Bye-bye. Susan Rude from uh, Prairie Rose Meadery in Fargo, North Dakota. And you can stop by at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E, in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, visit with them and uh, try out their meads. Uh, I would be anxious to try that uh, uh, star anise, uh, uh, anise, anise—however uh, you want to call it, I guess. Uh, you know, but I, I and I remember, I mean, you know, this takes me back to even the strawberry rhubarb thing we were talking about last week. You know, my God, I haven't had a strawberry rhubarb pie in ages yeah uh you know and my grandmother you know bless her heart i mean she's long since gone but my god the anise cookies that she used to make were just awesome uh so i can't I mean, that's another one that's going on my list uh fargo north dakota so but uh wow i you know here, here again we could have talked to her for another hour uh, oh yeah what an amazing uh uh, what an amazing person I mean, especially you know the the microbiology part, I'm almost thinking about going back to school and taking a science class or something <laughs> you
1: know <laughs> well or you could uh you know go up to u c davis um they actually are having a in this fall they're gonna have a mead one o one class and it's you know it's basically like a best practices for mead cool. and yeah, and it's it's really awesome um And if you go to the Got Me Facebook page, I think it's the second post down, is a link to the class. And they did this last year, and it was completely full. They've actually still got a few spots left for anybody who might be interested in going. But it's an amazing, amazing class taught by some of the biggest people in fermentation anywhere. You know, this is like the holy grail of American winemaking. This is UC Davis Robert Mondavi Institute School of Winemaking. Awesome. Yeah, so it's you know it's pretty it's pretty darn cool, and um, you know if anybody wants to get a really really good grounding, that's where I'd go.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's uh, it's really not that far from me. I could go up there and uh, you know just stay in a hotel, and uh, I mean I would love to get involved at that level and you know really learn more about. this whole winemaking experience, and more specifically the mead, of course. But uh, what an awesome experience! But uh, again, thanks to uh, Susan root from Prairie Rose Mead for calling in. We are going to step away, take a break. When we come back, ask Oscar your favorite segment. So sit tight. Go wander off. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rood, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The form consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMeat.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens its doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing varieties, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meats are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to Melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Millburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. And here we are back, Got Mead Live on a Tuesday night. Uh, it was a lot of fun having Susan Rood uh, talk to us about her meadery up in Fargo, North Dakota, Prairie Rose Meadery. And I'll bet you two didn't know that the Prairie Rose is actually the state flower for North Dakota, did you?
1: Mm, yep, I do.
2: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Yeah.
0: We uh, we do have a caller on the line, uh, 5038. Uh, what's your name? Tell us where you're from and uh, what's your question or comment?
5: Hey, this is Tyson from Virginia.
0: I'm Hi, uh, one of the two mead makers. You are. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we going to be having a party with you guys next week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just wanted to see what it was like to be on live radio this week and get ready for next week. You are absolutely <laughs> live tonight, and uh, glad to have you aboard. I'm really looking forward to next week's show, guys. So, how many needs are we going to drink?
2: Whatever you happen know. to have in front of you. H-
0: yeah. How many do you have? Yeah,
5: <laughs> I, I got I got a collection now. I'm I'm, I'm getting close to Vicky. I mean, well. Wow difference of magnitude of 10 here but i got like 30 or 40 meads to choose from
0: 30 or 40 meads yeah. to choose from is that all yeah <laughs> i'm buying them as fast as my wife lets me uh, spend the money i um tyson i don't know if you caught the last show or not but uh you know these two vicky and aj you know, I, I don't know if they felt sorry for me or what, but I just recently found what I called the mother load. Of I have been on a, a, a mead hunt, uh, for months. And, uh, I, I finally found the mother load here in Sherman Oak. So I'm really digging this whole mead thing now that I've actually had, you know, a real fide mead. Uh, we got another caller on the line. Uh, also 2631. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? And, uh, Say howdy. Hey, hey, J.D., it's
3: Alan, the other part. The other one, me yeah. Trying to three-way in. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were sitting here trying
0: to coordinate to call in, and apparently he kicked me off. I don't know what's <laughs> going on here. Hogging the glory for me. So are we starting this party tonight, guys? It sounds like it, yeah. We're getting a preview <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we're getting a preview, yeah.
3: I, I don't <laughs> have any need with me tonight, so we'll be sure to pour a lot next week.
0: AJ and Vicky, I, I don't know if you guys have uh, caught their shows or not, but I've listened to... Uh, I've
1: been uh, on their show, J.D.
0: Well, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, you were on their show. I, I was on
1: I've, their show. Yeah, we had fun.
0: Yeah, I listened to that whole Episode show. six and seven. And, yep. Uh, I went back... going to have and, to look
2: those up. Something to do while I'm pressing apples.
0: Oh, yeah, you got to, AJ. And these guys are fantastic. And uh, I, I've listened to their shows and uh, awesome guys. Totally awesome. So I'm really Thank looking you. forward to uh, to next week.
5: Yeah, it should, should be a be great good. time.
0: Yeah, it should be. I'm looking forward to it. Do either one of you guys make mead? Of course. We'd love to. What's your favorite? Uh,
5: is there a favorite? There's too many
0: options. <laughs> options? I, I, go, I go for I, I'm gonna. I'm going to throw that out. No. Go ahead. Tyson, what do yeah, you mean? No, I go
5: for spice mead. Anything that's got a lot of different spices, I like. Um, the, the star anise that you guys talked about before, I think I threw that into, like, my first batch of mead just because I had some really nice star, star-shaped star ones, and I wanted that in there.
0: Awesome. And uh, I guess if I have to choose,
5: I'd probably say I'm actually a fan of... Uh, The low-alcohol session meads that are carbonated go on that route, coming more from a
3: beer-drinking side than a wine-drinking side, but I like it all.
0: Without giving away next week's show, are both of you coming from beer brewing into mead, or uh, had you been doing mead uh, ever since? Mead exclusively. I drink a lot of beer. I don't actually make beer. Cool. You, yeah. drink beer, you drink beer. Uh, yeah, you're like me. I drink beer, uh, but I make mead. I don't make beer. And, and I'll tell you, the reason why I made mead, because I just discovered this thing last January, and I thought, what what is this stuff? And and it was, you know, everything you read on the internet made it look so simple. I mean, I can do this at home, no problem. Beer, on the other hand, uh, I love my craft beer, and there's such a variety out there. I didn't need to be making it at home. So, uh... But uh, looking forward to uh, having you guys on the show next week. We've got another segment coming up here uh, just shortly that we've got to get to. And uh, ask Oscar. So if you're tuning in, listen live here. Oscar's going to be talking about uh, honey aromas and, uh, you know, training your palate and just all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, But appreciate the call, guys. Looking forward to next week. Yeah. Sounds
5: good. I'll be listening with my honey wheel
0: for that next section. There, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> very good all right guys uh thanks a million and we'll see you next week all righty
5: bye guys all right
0: i'm really looking forward to that show next week uh that ought to be a lot of fun so no kidding yeah Uh, but anyway uh this segment coming up ask oscar um it's kind of you know i mean these sessions with oscar are getting kind of lengthy and I guess it's probably the standard format now. They're about 46, 47 minutes long. But what wonderful information. Uh, I spent the uh, uh, the day with him in the studio. Vicky was out of town. And so it's me and, and uh, Pete, uh, Oscar, uh, going over a couple of questions submitted. Uh, I believe uh, one was uh, Bernard Smith submitted a question and then uh, uh, another respondent was... Um, Mead be, I think uh, was the other person uh, the first one he t- he's talking about uh honey aromas and smells and tastes, and r- really training your palate, learning how to take accurate notes uh you know when you're smelling honey and and, and you know really trying to be accurate that so that you can pair it up with whatever you know you're going to do with it, whether it's a spice or a fruit or whatever so. Um you know I mean, I mean and again uh, Vicky this is something new to me too. I mean I didn't know how important it was to be able to really smell your honey and, and really get to know it.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um you know if you if you know your honey you're going to have a better idea of what you're going to end up with. And that's the thing. It's a lot of people don't realize that or maybe they just don't think about it. I don't know. I guess maybe I didn't when I first started out. I was just getting you know, any old honey. But there's such a huge difference. Yeah. You know, depending on what you're doing. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good versus bad honey. It could be just putting the wrong honey in the right in, in a particular recipe. So you bury it or you lose the you know, you lose what makes it great because you're putting other things in there.
0: Yeah.
2: Clutter right. the taste or whatever. It does.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's, uh, let's roll Ask Oscar and uh, see what he says about honey aromas. I'm sure by now, uh, if you haven't heard that intro, uh, you ought to know it by now. This is the Ask Oscar segment, uh, J.D. in the house with uh, Pete, with Oscar today. Vicky is, uh, I believe she's out of town uh, somewhere in Boston. So, uh, Working on
6: her accent
0: today. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's going to be uh, Oscar and J.D. today. So, uh and uh we've got we've got several questions we want to work through by se- or actually several people have submitted questions that we want to work through here. Um so let's just dig right in. Uh Pete, what do you think? I think so. Let's jump to it. You know, uh Beard Beardsmith uh Beardsmith. I don't know why I'm calling him that. Uh, Bernard Smith. Uh he's asking today. He's got a couple of questions here, but the first one up uh, he's asking about uh, proven methods for developing an ability to identify the flavors and aromas in meads uh, and wines uh, and actually that's something that i could uh, that I could stand and learn too so I am prepared with paper and pencil uh, so <laughs> so uh, let's right. let's talk about that for a minute what what about how, how do you develop uh you know the ability to, uh, uh, to identify the the flavors and aromas
6: Well, I think, uh, to me, the ability to, you know, identify flavors, identify aromas, and and articulate them comes from, you know, observation. And observation seems counterintuitive because you don't don't taste with your eyes or or smell with your eyes. You taste with your, you know, your mouth and tongue and you you smell with your nose. But remember, your nose is 70% of the the flavor that you're going to be tasting in your mouth. So... Basically, what you need to do is kind of get used to what you're feeling, what you're feeling in your mouth, what kind of aromas you're, you know, you're smelling, and getting used to articulating those. And the best way to do that is just keep a little notepad and pen with you and write down, hmm, smells kind of like apples. Hmm, smells kind of like pears. Hmm, smells kind of like flowers, but not they're not like the dark, heavy kind of flowers, you know. They're, they're more like light white flowers. Okay, smells kind of like white flowers. So there's three things right there, right off the bat. Apples, peaches, or apples, pears, uh, and white flowers. That's three good descriptors for a lot of white wines. If you've ever run into white wines, generally you're going to smell things like that. And then you're going to get other flavors and aromas too. The, the aromas being those of uh, citrus or of stone fruit or, of, you know, different things. Um, so observe and write, you know. Sniff right, sniff right, sniff right, and and even sniff right, literally. Um, You know, you want to put your nose right down into the glass for starters and take a good deep breath and step back from it and kind of think about what it is that you're smelling. You know, are you smelling anything that's uh, musty or earthy or spicy or, um, you know, sweet? You know, are you smelling honey? Are you smelling fruit? If so, what kind of fruit are you smelling? If you can't tell what kind of fruit it is specifically, maybe you can say it's citrus. Maybe you can say it's something like apple. Maybe you can say it's something like a stone fruit, you know, like a berry of some kind or another. You know, so, uh, use.
0: Go ahead. Well, well I was just going to say, you know, I remember back, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was just his last show. Uh, and I think it was AJ who was talking about this this wheel this this uh aroma wheel yeah yeah, aroma wheel that she had gotten from uh uc davis i believe yeah they developed both the the wine aroma flavor
6: the the wine aroma and flavor wheel for red wine and white wine as well as a honey aroma wheel um amina harris over at the uh, honey and pollination center at the robert Mugabe institute at uc davis uh led a group of people um a panel of people, uh, which I was a part initially, but wasn't able to complete uh, the last couple of tastings they did, um, who wrote down the different, you know, common honeys and the common flavor attributes and aroma attributes and so on, and they developed that into a wheel that's uh, you know, somewhat uh, uh, equivalent to the wine aroma wheel for red and white wine. Um, and I believe it was Ann Noble who initially created that for red wine and then followed up with white wine as well. But it's kind of nice because at the outside of the wheel, it has like the, you know, the executive view kind of aroma. You know, is this woody or is it earthy or is it, you know, it, and then from there it gets more and more specific as you're growing closer and closer to the center of the wheel. And it's the same way for the white wine for the uh, for the honey. Uh, the aroma wheels are very good because they help you to not only drill down on the aroma that you're smelling, but kind of give you a visualization of a, a way to do it, to kind of like spiral into, you know, the most uh, specific kind of, you know, flavor you're going to be hitting, um, whatever it is. And the wheels are a really good visual guide for people who are very visual. And once you get kind of used to identifying the macro aroma that you're kind of onto then it's, you know, a little bit easier to drill down onto it. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, earthy, musty, citric, or whatever.
0: Are those uh, are those wheels available to the public? And can we just, I mean, how do you go about obtaining one of these uh, aroma wheels? Um, you go to Google and type in
6: shop for wine aroma wheel, UC Davis wine aroma wheel or Ann Noble wine aroma wheel. And you know, they're, they're all over the place. Everybody sells them. But uh, I'd, I'd recommend getting them from UC Davis or one of the links off of UC Davis for that kind of thing because it goes to help the school. And the Honey uh, uh, The honey Wheel will go to help uh, the Honey and Pollination Center there to keep our bees happy and healthy as well as to support the mead program there. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, this, this whole thing about uh, aroma and smelling and training your palate, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen, and, I, you know, I, in my other life, I, sh- I should have been a chef, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love to cook. And, I mean, there are certain recipes that I do that I do from memory, and, but I know how they're supposed to smell. I know how they're supposed to taste, so that tells me how much spices and herbs and salt and pepper and, and what have you needs to go into the dish i mean are we talking about the same thing here
6: um similar yeah it's uh it's very similar as a matter of fact cooking is a is a good analogy for making wine or uh, making meat or making anything else for that matter and I'll, I'll drill down onto that for a second um you don't really need training to break an egg and scramble it and make a scrambled egg and add a little bit of salt and pepper and have it taste, you know fairly good right but if you want to make an omelet um and you've never made one before that's a little bit different so you want to look at something that says like hey get your eggs break them put them into a pan maybe add a little bit of water or milk whichever one you want you know scramble them real good and well um you know if you're gonna put cheese in the middle of it uh here's how to do it then you kind of follow that recipe and then you kind of learn to do that over the course of a few weeks to where you can do it without even looking at the recipe. And you don't need to measure the salt. You don't need to measure the pepper because you're familiar with how much of either one of those you're going to be using. And, you know, guess what? You know, three, four weeks later, you're making omelets like nobody's business. And so, like, hmm, you know what? I'd like to change this a little bit. Maybe instead of cheese, I'd like to put some, uh, you know, some sautéed onions and mushrooms and a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, prosciutto in the center of it this time maybe with a little bit of different kind of cheese and maybe with some parsley in there too and all of a sudden now you have two omelets that you can make and so like hey that turned out pretty good maybe this time i'm going to go with maybe a little bit of spinach and and a couple of other things so now you're at a point where you have the basic recipe down you know you can turn a nice fluffy omelet without putting anything in it and it tastes wonderful you've got cheese you can put in it you've got you know, a uh, a mushroom sauteed with onions. You've got spinach. You've got different kinds of things that you can put in there. So you're you're basically taking that that recipe that you learned uh, and using the basic recipe and then modifying it to make new and interesting things. And that's meat making is just like that. And you know, I've said this over and over and over, and I'll keep saying it till it finally kind of the skulls of some of the people out here that don't listen, but. Make a basic recipe. If you want to make all three, you know, basic, traditional, sweet, dry, semi-sweet, make them and make them and make them until you don't have to think about it. Once you've done that, then start modifying them. And, you know, that's going to take a little while. Mead mead isn't exactly fast. And there's some people out there that want to make fast mead. That's fine. They're how to make a fast mead if that's what you're into. Um, I'm personally not. I can taste the difference between the two. I prefer, you know, a mead that goes through a standard fermentation that goes through, you know, aging. And that doesn't mean I'm going to wait three years to taste it. You know, I get my mead into and out of the out of the fermenter as quickly as is you know as reasonable for the type of yeast and the type of honey that I'm using. Um, and the, the better the fermentation is managed, the the quicker it's going to mature, and the longer it's going to last going to have less reductive and less, you know, kind of faults to it than something that's been, you know, pushed through uh, in a fermentation that's too hot or has had stalls in a fermentation that's not healthy. So learn the basics, learn them right, practice them till you can do them right without thinking about it, and then take that basic recipe that you know and like and start, you know, doing things to it, adding fruit, adding spice, adding other things to it, combining it with other needs that you have. You're sitting back blending them together to get something that's really different than what you had, you know, with either one of the, the two, the two that you blended. Um, it's, that's all about you know, developing that whole repertoire of different kinds of flavors and aromas and feels and mouthfeels and layers and structure and, and the integration of the overall flavors and the, the overall complexity of what it is that you're making.
0: And smell and taste and write down notes, uh, you know, how did those, you know, those meads smell like? I mean, what did they taste like? What yeast you use? Write down your notes, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, aromas uh, and keep good records. And, you know, eventually, you know, like you say, you'd be able to make those meads uh, without even looking at your recipe and then start, you know, adding fruits and uh, and whatnot uh, you know to your recipe yeah exactly Uh, uh,
6: develop a repertoire and then go back to it repeatedly
0: yeah yeah. good advice Um, the next question that uh, Bernard Smith asks here is he says uh, some yeast produce a peppery note and some meads tend to contain banana or black currant flavor okay um,
6: you know, I think the, the peppery notes and such and banana and blackcurrant kind of characters I've seen a lot in beer yeast and, and you know, different kinds of uh everything from saisons to abbey ales to, you know, farmhouse ales and such. And, you know, Belgian bit is going to have that kind of uh, clovey, spicy, uh, with uh, banana estuary kind of characters to it, too. Um, there are some grapes that have characteristics that are similar to that. Uh, there's a specific method of fermentation called carbonic maceration that kind of stresses tropical flavors, and when combined with the right yeast, it can give off almost like a bubblegummy tropical kind of character. Um, there's some yeast that will enhance peppery notes and grapes and such. But for the most part, the yeast isn't really going to be the concentrator of flavor in your in your mead the honey is what the yeast will do is bring that out through the process of esterification and and make it more apparent so you want to again going back to tasting honey and and taking good aroma notes and good flavor notes is you know get a honey that has some of those kind of flavors that you really want go out there and try different things Um, taste a bunch of honey that you really like and then spend your time looking at some yeast that will enhance those kind of flavors. And that's why I say look at the uh, wine yeast sites because a lot of times they'll talk about, hey, this brings out the peppery notes in, you know, Syrah, or this brings out the spicy notes in Zinfandel, or this brings out the cherry notes in Burgundy's or uh, Pinot Noir. This brings out the, the that nice peachy, appley, pear kind of, you know, Flavor in Chardonnay grapes, or enhances the uh, that nice red slash, you know, um, berry kind of character in, in different kinds of uh, red wines that you're going to be, you know, produced from red grapes. It, it, it's it's about identifying the key flavors and aromas that you like, and then finding a yeast that does, you know that's able to bring those notes out in what it is that you're going to be making, whatever batch of meat you're going to be making. If it's going to be a, a cherry mellow you want to look at something that, you know, brings out cherry nuts. Anything from RC212 to L2225, you know, kind of like enhance those cherry flavors. Um, there's other yeast out there that'll do the same, but those are two of the more common ones that are just named off and Incidentally, L T five is pretty good for restarting, too. It's a beast.
0: Okay. I, uh, I, you know, this brings me to a, uh, a question here related to the first one. Is there such thing as a, I don't know, an, an aroma wheel or a yeast wheel or something for mead where, uh, I, you know, this information is like in one central place? You know, what, what types of honey go with what types of yeast?
6: Um, I don't think so, not yet. and then that's not because there haven't been attempts to do it. I think it's because it's the breadth or the acumen that's been compiled on meat research is very, very, very small. And compared to the type of publications that are done on wine in the course of a year, um, you know it's it's an order of magnitude less than you'll see uh, in wine publications. and you know I just did like a a little Google search on. Uh, um not even a Google search actually. I went to the American Journal of Benology and um, Enology and Viticulture and uh did a you know, like a one year search on the number of scholarly articles produced on um wine and it was somewhere in the you know, hundreds and, and I did the same thing in you know on Google looking for articles published in on mead in the last in that same one year, and it's like three. Yeah. So there's a huge disparity there, and that's because there hasn't been an active, you know, pursuit of information, scientific, you know, studies and scientific information on mead. And so a a lot of the reason that we don't see the same kind of tools available for mead makers that we do for winemakers is because it just hasn't been seen as a beverage that, you know, it warrants the kind of scientific scrutiny that we all who make me know that it actually does warrant. And so there's, uh, you know, since UC Davis is taking an active interest in it, I think that's going to change.
0: And that's a good thing. Uh, yeah.
6: Absolutely.
0: Uh, you know, especially for those of us at home. I mean, I I, I can see the, the wonderful... Uh advantage that, you know, meateries would have and that, you know, something like that. But, you know, there are those of us at home who could benefit from that type of information as well.
6: Uh, oh, absolutely. And that's that's one of the major reasons that I, you know, started looking at things and looking at wine publications and, and took wine courses up at uh, UC Davis is because while mead making and winemaking are their own little worlds, they're conceptual. You know, conceptually, there are things that are very similar between them, the process of fermentation, the staggered nutrient additions, controlling temperature, you know, keeping track of your temperature, your pH, your sugar um, throughout the fermentation, um, and various other techniques that go into the making of wine and meat um, that, you know, translate to a better end product. And so, while, again, they're different beverages... Conceptually, there are techniques that you can learn from winemaking and and bring over into mead making that are wonderfully helpful. Yeah,
0: Bernard Smith goes on to ask about uh, certain honeys that are known for their butter or or nutty flavor. Uh, presumably, uh, you know, requires folks to have developed a palate, educated enough to identify flavors and aromas blind. I'm not quite sure what he means by blind, but.
6: Yeah, I don't really know what he's asking by blind either. And, uh, you know, I guess at a starting point, as you mentioned up above, um, you know, my recommendation would be to, to get hold of the Honey and Pollination Center up at, uh, UC Davis and get that, uh, aroma wheel from them and start from there. I mean, blind is like, you know, this is where it's a little bit different. You know, if you don't have the vocabulary to articulate, specific aromas and flavors it's not something that you're going to be able to do out of the gate you know if you don't know that uh the buttery flavor in chardonnay is a byproduct of you know diacetyl uh, as a result of malolactic fermentation then you're not going to be able to articulate that so you have to go through and learn it yeah. you know there's no shortcutting that kind of thing you just have to sit down and do the reps and you know, speaking of doing wraps, a palate is just like a muscle. You got to exercise it regularly to keep it in shape and to tone it up and to keep it, you know, working all the time. So,
0: well, and not I mean, not I mean, all honeys, uh, not all honeys are made the same either. I mean, I've had I've had yeah. wildflower honeys that are wildly different, uh, and I think you know, obviously, it depends on where those flowers. Where the where the bees, uh, you know, got the pollen from? What kind of flowers? Where those flowers were? I mean, there's a whole lot of things that come into play. So I mean, just you know, you know that that's got to have a have a whole uh, you know a part in this as well. I mean, because not I know that not all honeys taste the same. Orange honey here tastes different than orange honey from Florida. I've heard yeah, people- as and
6: yeah, and it tastes different from you know I'll say citrus honey from. Arizona, from Nevada, from Northern California, from New Mexico, you know, from all across the Texas. It's, it's different from everywhere, just like grapes taste different from, you know, different areas and different geographic regions that have different kinds of soil. It's yeah. that's the nature of a, a living organism that's, uh, you know, a, an organic organism that uh, is developing, um, converting the, the nectar into honey. Uh, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be different with the different bees too. I mean, the biology of the bee is going to make a difference. So, you know, Uh, you know, you can have, I'll go back to music, you know, you have three piano players, sit them down and have them play a C scale and they'll all sound different. It's just, it's still a C scale, but they all play it differently.
0: Right. Right. And, uh, you know, lastly, uh, Bernard has asks, how, how do they master it? Uh, he thinks that developing, a, you know, that, that kind of a skill uh, would improve his mead making.
6: Yeah, it really is. I mean, how do they master it? Practice. Yeah. You know, another thing that people don't want to hear, practice, practice, practice. People say practice makes perfect. I totally disagree with that. Uh, if you practice things incorrectly, you're just practicing mistakes, and you'll never be perfect at it. Perfect right. practice makes perfect. Practice it perfectly, that will make it perfect.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to making those traditional meads over and over and over until it becomes second nature and, uh, you know, you know what you're dealing with. Uh seems yeah. like a good place to start, you know. Yeah,
6: I'll, yeah, that's a great point. And I'll share something that illustrates that to me pretty well. Um, at the Mazer Cup International, when we're judging traditional meads, um, it's very apparent that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time, both home mead makers and commercial mead makers, um, with traditional mead. And I'll tell you why. There's nothing to hide behind there. There, you know, any little error is right out there front and center. Any, you know, reductive aroma, any off flavor, any, Odd-looking colors—they're all out there for everybody to see. And to me, somebody can make a great melomel, but if they can't make a traditional mead, uh, you know, I got to wonder it really—you know—how they got to that great melomel. Uh,
0: yeah, which you know might have been a a one in a million shot, you know, <laughs> the sure, one of those and- one of those got lucky uh, kind of deals, you know. Absolutely, and you
6: know. I'm not saying that's the case with all of them, but there's some of them that, you know, where I've had the, you know, the uh, the occasion to taste uh, traditional and to taste, you know, some of their melanin and things like that from different uh, mead makers, both home and commercial. Uh, it becomes obvious that, you know, one did not equal the other, and I was kind of like looking at how did we get from A to B to C on this one because there's no in any way, shape, or form kind of logical progression from one to the other. One was on the very low side, the other was on the very high side. And I'm like, how did the quality at the base product come out low while the quality on the top product come out tops? And, you know, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, how they got from A to B on that one.
0: Well, I think, it, you know, and what we're talking about here, I mean, I can I can draw this line from everything we've discussed tonight all the way back to something you said here a couple of weeks ago about, you know, you're going to go out and buy. I mean, like me today, I, I went out on a honey run. Uh, I went up north of Ventura, went to Heritage Honey, um, and I came home with uh, two pails of orange, you know, 24 pounds, $100 worth of honey. Uh, right. I stopped at a fruit stand on the way home uh, and I picked up another six pounds of sage honey. Well, I spent a hundred and thirty dollars on honey today so right. I, you know and then I know that there are some out there who who are gonna come home and you know dump it in the fermenter and expect a miracle it's like that's that's mistreatment to, as far as I'm concerned i mean if, if you you're gonna go out and spend that kind of money, you know you're gonna invest that kind of time and money into this i mean it helps to uh be able to do it right and i mean i i don't i know more about me now in the last several weeks just dealing with the ask oscar uh you know doing these shows than i have learned in the last six months uh you know uh even since last january when i got started in this and uh you know as you and i talked about the last time we were together There is some misinformation out there. I'm not going to say it's incorrect information. They're just not telling you the whole story when you go out and look at some of these recipes that are scattered all over the the internet. So, you know, we're we're talking about, they don't talk about aromas, they don't talk about you know, the smell, uh, the flavor, the taste. Uh, You know, they don't talk about pairing honeys with with different yeast. uh, You know, learning the characters of the yeast and even, the, you know, the other ingredients, uh, you know, uh, whether you want to put uh, prickly pear with the wildflower or uh, cherries with uh, orange blossom. I mean, there's a whole lot more to it than just, you know, dumping a pail of yeast in a fermenter and throwing the yeast in, you know.
6: Right, exactly. It, it, well, and that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and uh, thanks, uh, Bernard Smith. Uh, I certainly got uh, an eye-awakening uh, experience out of it. I always do when I'm sitting here with Pete. Uh, the luxury I have uh, being in the studio every time these sing the recorder is I can sit here, with, sit here with paper and pen and take notes. We've got a question. Uh, this comes from uh, a premium patron member, and thank you, uh, Mead B, for uh, becoming a patron member. Um. I get I don't know whether this is a question or a statement or what but uh, these batches were made with honey harvested early midsummer so it's a mix of clover and wildflower wildflower recipe for the three batches uh, she's guess she's I don't know if she's questioning the uh, the starting gravity with the SG at one point I guess that's one point one zero one zero
6: yeah they're asking is that right and I'm like well... I couldn't really tell you I wasn't there. So, you know, the follow-up question there is maybe I need a lesson in reading my gravity, and I'm like, Yahtzee, you know. Again, it's like you have all this great equipment, but uh, you go out and you do your first first experimental batch on some really expensive honey, and my advice has always been uh, if you've never fermented anything before, you got your new equipment, fill it up with water, Run through the sanitation and everything else like you normally do, um, at those, at those levels that you use to sanitize your equipment, either with, uh, you know, um, 4, um, or, um, star sand, um, you can still drink the water even after you, you, you use it to sanitize the instruments that are going into it. Fill your fermenter up to five gallons with, uh, with water. You know, sanitize your hydrometer. Spin it into it. Take a reading. Fill the fill the graduated cylinder that you've got up that you bought with your hydrometer. Spin your hydrometer in that. Take another reading. Get used to it. Uh, take your long handled spoon. Set it down in there and get a sharpie marker. And at the uh, the water level uh, at five gallons in your bucket, put a little mark on your long handled spoon and write five gallons. You know, take yeah. off a gallon. Go down to that. Put another mark on there and say four gallons. Do that all the way down to a gallon. Now you know how much is in your bucket. All you have to do is stick your spoon in there, and if it falls onto one of those marks, you know exactly what it is. If it falls in between, you know it's like a half or a quarter or three-quarters or whatever. Uh, A a real quick, dirty, you know, not totally accurate, but accurate enough to get you into the ballpark so you can use your instrumentation to measure it. Um, Get your little, you know, get your racking cane. You know, rack some water out into a, you know, into another pail. Practice racking, you know, practice. If you've got an auto siphon rack, that's great. Just give it a push. Uh, have the other one, you know, down below so gravity can take over and, you know, rack back and forth to them a couple of times. Get used to doing all this stuff before you start experimenting on your, you know, your hard-earned dollars that bunch you that really expensive honey. Once you're used to doing it, once you're used to taking those readings and, you know, checking everything out, then go ahead and mix that must up. And you'll be surprised just how easy it is the second time around when you're actually using honey and when you're not, and, you know, then the water that you got left over, you can put on the plants or you can take it in the house and, you know, drink whatever's in there. Because again, you're not using enough sanitizer on the instruments that you're putting into it to do anything other than just make sure that you're not contaminating it. So yeah, At least you've got, you know, a bucket of water there that you can use in the house if you really want to or, don't put it on the plants, or put it in the dog bowl, or you know, walk you outside and find one of your neighbors that looks like he's pretty hot and dump it on him. You
0: know, yeah,
6: <laughs> it's up to you. Uh,
0: you know the other uh, the other comment here being made by by Mead B is using and this kind of throws me because she talks about or I don't know if it's a she or he, but uh, Mead B talks about using common staggered nutrient and degassing process. I understand the degassing part, but. There is no common staggered nutrient, isn't that? Dependent upon where you expect your final gravity to, uh, to be. Isn't that how you put your staggered nutrient schedule together?
6: Yeah, you know, this is, this is one of the things that I'm finding kind of curious is that people go standard nutrient addition, and, and like you said, there's no such thing. It's, it is however you're going to add nutrient for the batch that you're making at the moment people go, you know, well, you know, let's do a staggered nutrient addition according to this schedule or that schedule. And that's all well and good, but you know, if you didn't develop the schedule yourself, you probably need to take a look at what it is you're doing. Figure out how much nitrogen you're adding with those nutrients and if your honey really needs that, you know, is your fermentation going well? And why do you wanna you know, if it is and it's going along and, you know, you've just made one addition at the beginning and fermentation is clicking along at a real good pace, don't be adding stuff to it if it doesn't need it. Yeah. And, and likewise, if, it's, if it looks like it's foundering and, and going slowly, then just, you know, take take a, a measured approach to it, add nutrient, you know, go minimal. I'm a big believer in you can add stuff too, but you can't take stuff out once it's in. Yeah. So just you know, go a little bit at a time, kind of nudge it up and see how things are going.
0: I have to laugh uh, sometimes because I I, re- I see some of these recipes on these various web pages out there, and they you know they don't specify the yeast. They just say pitch your wine yeast, or just you know in the in the recipe list just says wine yeast. And then it comes to the you know uh, you want to do a staggered uh, staggered nutrient feeding, you know, like you know every other day for three days. Well. You know, and people read this, and I can tell you from my own experience that I've had, I've had yeast that, I mean, from start to finish in 48 hours, and then it's a done deal. (laughs) You know, so I mean, it's a very fast, fast acting yeast. And I mean, I'm at the bottom end of the fermentation in 48 hours. So, in every other day feeding, uh,
6: Never
0: really uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you want to be careful where you're getting your information, what recipes you're reading, and you know if you if you can contact the author, you know get more. I mean, what what kind of wine yeast? I mean, there's uh, hundreds of available wine yeast out there. Which one? So right,
6: and that's where it gets back to to you know to doing your diligence on. Matching your yeast to your honey and what kind of need uh, you want to make and what kind of flavors you can expect out of it. Or at least you can kind of, like, judge, will probably come out of it.
0: And talk about, um, I, you know, this uh, this list of questions goes on, uh, you know, talking about each batch, given two packets of yeast hydrated with water and nutrient, one hour before pitching, uh, I'm not quite sure uh you have I, I i don't know if this is taken directly from the uh from the uh, uh submission but two packages of uh, saison ale yeast two packages of lablan 71b two packages of Lavalin d 40s tell me that all didn't go into one
6: no it's uh, what they did was they split this into three into three batches and then they inoculated each with got gotcha. um two packages of saison ale yeast two packages of uh 71 b in two packages or two packets or sachets of D47. Now, I personally know, you know, what those sachet sizes are. They're five grams each. And well, then, uh, I don't know which on ale yeast to use, um, you know, whose on ale yeast. Um, and so I don't know, you know, which specific yeast it was and how many grams were used. And so... Just because you say, hey, I use two packages of uh, Lovin 7-1-B, doesn't mean that everybody's going to know that those are two 5-gram packets. And uh, just the same way up above, each batch was given two packets of yeast hydrated with water and nutrient one hour before pitching. Well, uh, I know that uh, the 7-1-B and the D-47 don't call for that kind of rehydration protocol. Um, as a matter of fact, I can tell you right now that if you... Treat your, your Laoban yeast like that. You're not going to get them starting up very fast out of, out of the gate. Um, you don't rehydrate any more than 15 minutes before you use them, uh, 71B or D47. And, you know, for each packet, they, they go into a 50 ml batch of water that's uh, 104 degrees. Um, you stir it, you let it sit for 15 minutes, you give it another stir, and then you inoculate. If you're using GoFirm, which is a rehydration nutrient specific, to uh, Lalamond, who manufactures Lalban yeast, then there's a protocol that you follow for that as well. You know, you mix it in um, at 111 degrees, you let it sit, let it come down to 104, you add your yeast to it, mix that in, uh, make sure there's no clumps, let it sit for 15 minutes, come back, give it another stir, and then it goes in. But an hour beforehand means that the yeasts, I know, when they're active dry yeast is made, it's, it's you know, turned into these little granules that have uh, biotin and other nutrients in them for rehydration. But once they're rehydrated, they've exhausted that nutrient. And if they're just sitting in a suspension of water where you put the yeast in with whatever nutrient that it was that was used, it's not a specific rehydration nutrient, um, they're just going to start going like, well, there's nothing here to eat, so I guess I'm dead. Over they go. Yeah. And, and so uh, it's, very, it's very important to follow the instructions. To familiarize yourself with the instructions and to, you know, get good at rehydrating your yeast in the proper way.
0: Yeah, and then uh, of course the next part, uh, you know, tasting notes. I mean, and this goes all the way back up to uh, Bernard Smith. The question he was asking about, you know, aromas and smells, that kind of thing. Kinda already had that discussion, but you know, briefly. I mean, and he's talking about D forty seven here. By far the best honey smells fruit notes and low fusel flavors, but then. What what did you smell? What what did it smell like?
6: Right, exactly. Honey smell. Okay. Well, gosh, that can that that's a pretty wide category description there. You know, <laughs> honey can smell everything from like uh, you know barnyard to uh, you know to cinnamon to marshmallow to sage. I mean, it can it can have tons of different aromas and flavors. So, what is the specific honey aroma that you're addressing there? Um, fusel flavors, you know, I, I suspect that when, when somebody says, oh, it's got honey smells or honey aromas, okay, but what kind? And, and then they say in the next sentence, low fusel flavors. I'm kind of wondering what those specific flavors are uh, and, and looking for descriptions. And if I'm not getting them, I'm kind of wondering what it is that they might be tasting that they might be mistaken for fusel flavors. So. You no, know, and I'm not capping on, on this at all. I'm just saying there's, I'm just pointing out that, you know, the questions that you're asking really need to be as accurate as you can get them as well. Hey, I smelled this. I smelled this. I smelled this. This honey has kind of a spicy aroma to it. It's a little bit musty, but uh, the spice prevails. I can definitely smell the honey kind of character in it and uh, maybe a little bit of citrus. And those fusel flavors I was getting it smells almost diesel-y or oily, you know, and so those are, you know, kinds of things in, in the flavor and the aroma that you'd be looking for and the descriptions. Um, so, you know, and honestly, if I'm, if I'm reading a description that says fusel in it, I'm thinking that the fermentation was run hot, but we don't have any temperature or pH readings that I can go back and verify that on and say, hey, look, it looks like your fermentation was running too hot, so cool it down. Yeah. So that, that's that's why we need the description. That's why it's so important to write down everything about your batch that you can. And if you think you're writing too much, you're probably not. So, you know, take the time, get out the paper, write down your observations, and, and observe, you know, really, really well. Your job is to catch anything and everything you can about that batch and translate it to paper so that when there's a problem, you can say, hey, this is what I did. This is what I saw. And somebody who knows, you know, working with the yeast that you're using and the honey that you're using, you go through that list and go, Oh, there we are right there. Look, your temperature is at 78 degrees. You know, this is a cool weather yeast and you're fermenting at 78 going up into the 80s. It's not going to handle that well. So you got to manage your temperature next time.
0: And then uh, you know Mead B uh, looks like he ranks the uh, uh, you know his three D forty seven being the best, then seventy one B least favorite being the saison, uh, and then and then comes a question. I'm, I'm not quite, quite sure where this goes, but D forty seven I'm going to keep a straight uh, a straight Mead and see what age does to this already good tasting Mead, and then saison and seventy one B with question marks. So. Not quite. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's not surprising
6: to me. Saison yeast is his least favorite. Uh, um, you know, not a, not a yeast that I'd ever choose to make mead with. So, and, and let me just say in that particular comment, uh, the Saison being least favorite, he goes on to say that it tasted and smelled yeasty and a little funky, that he could taste a hint of honey and could imagine what it would be like when aged, but it definitely needs time. See, now that's a lot better description than just like. Uh, honey aroma and low fusel. Right. Okay. That, that gives me a little bit more to work with there. And that's why I said, you know, Saison wouldn't be a yeast that I'd use in, in, in making mead. You know, Saisons tend to have some pretty, pretty intense, uh, you know, character to them. Um, everything from astringent to spicy to funky to, uh, and, and not really the things that I want to have in my mead. But, uh, again, hey, that I've actually tasted some Saison fermented mead that turned out really, really well. So, you know, it doesn't mean not to try it. What it means is to get good at what you're doing first and then try uh, some more esoteric stuff. Yeah. Now, for the question. said, so uh going to keep D47 as a straight mead. I'm guessing he means that he's going to, you know, treat that as a traditional mead and just leave it alone and let it age, uh, which I applaud. And then it looks like they were asking, but what should I do with the 7-1B and the Saison? Well, I don't know. I don't have good enough notes to go on as far as what the flavors are and what the aromas are. Uh, I see that he's you know, thinking of adding three cans of frozen white grape juice and 10 pounds of frozen peaches, um, if you suggest the 7-1B, but it's been nearly two months since the first pitch. So now I get an idea that it's two months old. Um, is that too late to be adding fruit, he asks. And... You know what would this do? And again, I can't really say because I don't know. I don't have comprehensive enough notes to really make a call on that. What I told them to do was to just wait before they did anything to it, and just let these means settle down and and you know clear up and and stabilize first. Um, I got a, a a message this morning uh, saying that they'd already gone ahead and done the things that he suggested there with the uh, frozen like grape juice and I'm not sure about the peaches. I don't remember seeing that mentioned in there. But again, you know, you know, one of the things that I'm always talking about is patience, patience, patience. You know, be patient enough to let the stuff develop a little bit before you start tweaking it. Especially when you're completely new to something. It's kind of like, you know, you know, learning to drive a car and then, you know, you've driven in a straight line and you learned how to make a right turn and a left turn and then all of a sudden you want to put the car in reverse and, and do the same thing, you know, on, on the surface street. And that's only going to lead to bad things. Yeah. So, you know, observe, practice, observe, practice, observe, practice, take good notes. And then you can start, you know, getting esoteric and adding some cool things. But you know, it's not a popular thing to say. People are impatient. And we're, you know, we were having a conversation before we even started this, you know, the session up today to talk about these things. But you know, people, you know, in our, in our, you know, culture, our present culture of information at the fingertips instantly think that everything can happen instantly. And, right. you know, it, it's very different with, you know, art and need is art just as much as it is science. And so that means having the patience to know when to make changes, to know when to do things to it. And that's where the art comes in to, to be able to, you know, provide sensory analysis on what it is you're making to the point of where you're armed with, you know, good knowledge of how the meat is progressing and the direction it's going so that you can apply some of that art uh, out of your experience and your ability to, you know, take your batches and kind of adjust them as they progress into something that's really wonderful. And so, you know, a major part of that is patience. Are um, you going to make mistakes? Yes, everybody does. And, you know, I have too. But the, the big thing about this is when you make a mistake, learn from it. Take notes on what you did wrong and then dump it down the drain if it's not drinkable. Um, don't take it out and share it around. Yeah, this one didn't turn out too well, but I thought you should taste it anyhow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, how, yeah, that's how mead gets a really bad reputation. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and people don't get that. Don't take shitty meat out to a bunch of your friends and say, hey, this is meat. Yeah,
0: oh, no, yeah shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've uh I think we've just about covered everything, uh, Pete. You know, I mean this uh these sessions, I mean they just keep getting we're already forty seven minutes, almost forty eight minutes into this thing. They just keep going on and on and on. But I'll tell you what valuable information uh... these ask oscar sessions uh... give us and uh... any final thoughts yeah well i'll have to wait and see i mean this is uh... you know to uh, me be don't a don't be don't feel
6: like you're overwhelmed and b don't, don't you know feel bad about this batch or anything like that it's first effort and you're not any different than anyone else i hear it from people all the time i tried this but it didn't work and it just freaked me out so i tried this and that didn't work either Hey, I did the same thing when I was starting, but the, the nice thing about having somebody to ask these questions to is that um, you can save yourself the heartache and the hassle. Um, just, you know, apply a little bit of patience, ask the question and wait for an answer before you dive in. It's kind of like, you know, walking up to shark-infested waters and jumping right in rather than watching somebody else jump in and get eaten by the shark
0: first. <laughs> There you go, and then uh, of course, you know when you're filling out the form, please you're going to ask the question and and submit it. Please make sure that you have concise, accurate, and complete information when you submit your question to ask Oscar. Otherwise, uh, it's going to go either on the bottom of the pile or not in the pile at all. So, but uh, uh, Pete, thanks again uh, for another uh, excellent session of Ask Oscar. Uh, looking forward to the next one.
6: Yeah, thank you for to uh, Bernard Smith and to Mead B for putting those questions out there. And, uh, you know, keep at it. Don't give up. You'll do fine. Just Absolutely. take practice, man.
0: You bet. All right. Thank you, guys. And more to come on Got Mead Live. So don't get up. Stay right there in that seat. We'll be back. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rood, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. It's not the name of the meads that causes Moonlight Meadery to consistently win more and more medals at the Major Cup International every year. It's the world-class meads that have depth, balance, and taste incredible. Meads with passion. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Moonlight Meadery makes meads with passion, love, and care. Enjoy a Moonlight Meadery mead today. Go shop for some right now. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a supporting member Wow, and we are back live here tonight on Got Mead Live. Uh, thanks for tuning in and sticking with us. Uh, Vicki, another Ask Oscar, uh, and I'll tell you, you know, having the opportunity to sit with him in the studio and go over some of these uh, topics, you know, he, he's talking about tonight about uh, wine and uh, honey aroma, wheels and learning to smell and putting those aromas together with, uh, you know, whatever you're going to add to your honey. I mean, it's just a a whole thing about just the smell of the honey that you're using and how important is that, you know? Yeah.
1: It really, I mean, it really is. It's You've got to pay attention. The quality of your ingredients are going to have all the bearing on the quality of your meat.
2: And with honey, the smell is almost as important as the taste.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I've, you know, I've found, uh, AJ, uh, and maybe you can expound on this a little bit, but, uh, you know, I have learned to taste with my nose mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, you, I smell it and then I put it in my mouth and it just it's like, oh, this is quite a bit different, you know, because before mm-hmm. you just you pop it in your mouth and you taste what you taste, but it's different now that, you know, you take some time to smell it, right?
2: Yeah. Well, you, it, as I think, was it Peter Ken talking about how you sort of had to separate it from the sweetness, which you can't really do if you're tasting it.
0: True. True. But, uh, excellent. Ask Oscar, uh, segment tonight. And, uh, thanks to, uh, Bernard Smith and Meadby for uh, submitting uh, to the Ask Oscar. I Really appreciate it. Uh, and again, and I know you know we're t- you know beginning to sound like broken records. Please, when you're going to submit your questions about your Mead, you know if if Vicky and Oscar don't have the complete information about your recipe, and that includes the processes uh, that you went through. Uh, you know, to put it together, and it's very, very difficult for them to offer up any kind of advice or, or to answer your question if you, don't, uh, if you don't do that. So please, when you're submitting, read all of the pertinent information on the submittal form there. Make sure that you can answer each and every one of those questions. Be as concise as you can uh, because that will help uh, Pete and Vicki uh, more in the future, uh, you know, when it comes down to that
2: and also if there's something you can't answer mention that you can't answer it
1: yeah. yeah say that then we won't then we'll realize i
2: didn't check the temperature i don't have a ph meter you know exactly. that type of thing and
1: yeah. that's cool i mean everybody learns you know as they go but yeah don't just leave it blank and then expect us to read your mind about whether you had that or didn't have that or whatever you know details are important
0: yeah And uh, a lot of fun having Susan Root on tonight uh, from Fargo, North Dakota, Prairie Rose Meadery. And uh, i tell you, if you're ever up in that neighborhood, stop on by and visit with them. 3101, 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. That's Prairie Rose uh, Meadery. Uh, They've got a nice little tasting room there. And uh, they even offer uh, a light meal, crackers, cheese fruits uh there so uh, it sounds like a pretty nice place
1: it is so i've seen their pictures and she, they've got it set up really nice they did a great job
0: yeah and uh the wrap up tonight uh, we always like to mention uh, at least somebody uh you know i go through the forums and pick out something uh and uh you know throw a shout out uh, out there to to somebody tonight I, I came across this post this is in the hive section in the uh, Got meat Forum, and uh, this is the one that's open to the public. It's not in the patron section. So anybody can go there and check this out. You have got to see these stunning photographs of bees uh, taken by... I don't know what the person's name is, but uh, the post is from EJM3. Uh, His partner... uh, Dallentech—I uh, I don't know who it is. Uh, I just don't have a name. But
2: the uh, the photographer, I think, is John Kimbler. John Kimbler.
0: John John Kimbler. Okay, John Kimbler. Uh, the link is in the hive, and you really got to check this out. I mean, these photographs are just absolutely the most stunning things you ever want to see. And uh, AJ, when I first saw them, I know you've seen them already. Uh, they they almost look like paintings like like artistry yeah
2: yeah some of it's surreal looking
1: well, and I've always envied people who have the talent to make because I love playing with cameras and my stuff never looks that good <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh yeah and uh, thanks uh, EJN 3 uh, for putting that up there in the forums uh, in the hives section there uh, just stunning photographs I just cannot say enough. I mean, you know, I take my camera out to the lake and I take pictures of birds and whatnot. You know, I think I'm pretty good right up until the point I saw these pictures. And it's like, dude, I am the most amateur photographer out there. (laughs) I just can't get over to the uh, the quality of these pictures. I mean, you're you're talking something that is almost, I don't know, know, museum uh, quality. But, uh, hey, a heck of a show here tonight, guys. Uh, A lot of fun. We're going to get on out of here. You want to tune in next week. Uh, We're going to have some more fun. Uh, Tyson and Alan from the Meat Makers are going to be here with us, and it's just going to be a group chat. You heard them on, uh, on the show tonight, Tyson and Alan. Uh, if you're still listening, uh, can't wait, guys. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. Thanks to Derek from Georgia for uh, calling in here tonight, and of course, always nice to hear from Chris down in Mississippi and Doug Fensky. Uh, uh, Doug Fensky over in the Netherlands getting up at three o'clock in the morning, Vicky. <laughs> He's crazy. <laughs> Just <laughs> dedicated. Dog, the word is dedicated.
1: Doug, I love you. You're nuts. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and 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 getting ambushed by the boys. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Tyson and Alan.
0: It's like, oh, we're going to have way too much fun next week. <laughs> Getting ambushed by the boys. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it has been a fun night here on a Tuesday night. So you want to tune in next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, right here on Got Mead Live. You know where to go. If you don't, uh, just uh, go to TuneIn Radio, type in Got Mead Live, it'll pop right on up. Catch the replays on SoundCloud and uh, on the uh, Got Mead website. Uh, And we'll get you all, well, actually, all that information is, it's already out there. If you're a member of the forums, pay that 25 bucks. Become a patron member. We'll see everybody next week. See you later, y'all. Take care, everyone.